Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 27th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II between the years 1979-1984. We're using the edition by Professor Michael Waldstein, to whom we're so indebted. We have already spoken about the shame that arose in the heart of the first man, male and female, together with sin. The first sentence about this beginning of shame in the biblical account is the following. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This passage, which speaks about the reciprocal shame of the man and the woman as a symptom of the fall, status naturae lapse, should be considered in its context. Shame touches in that moment the deepest level and seems to shake the very foundations of their existence. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God, who was walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden from the presence of the Lord God. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. The need to hide shows that in the depth of the shame they feel before each other, as the immediate fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a sense of fear before God has matured, a fear previously unknown. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of your step in the garden, and I was afraid, because I am naked, and I hid myself. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. A certain fear is always part of the very essence of shame. Nevertheless, original shame reveals its character in a particular way. I was afraid because I am naked. We realize that something deeper is at stake here than mere bodily shame, connected with the recent birth of the consciousness of being naked. With this shame about his own nakedness, the man seeks to cover the true origin of fear by indicating the effect so as not to name the cause. And it is then that God, Yahweh, instead of the man, names it, who told you that you were naked. Have you perhaps eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Genesis chapter 3 verse 11. The precision of this dialogue is overwhelming. The precision of the whole account is overwhelming. It shows the surface of man's emotions in living the events in such a way that at the same time, it reveals their depth. In all this, nakedness does not have only a literal meaning. It does not refer only to the body. It is not the origin of a fear related only to the body. In reality, what shows itself through nakedness is man deprived of participation in the gift. Man alienated from the love that was the source of the original gift the source of the fullness of good intended for the creature. This man, according to the formula of the church's theological teaching, was deprived of the supernatural and preternatural gifts that were part of his endowment before sin. In addition, he suffered damage in what belongs to nature itself, to humanity in the original fullness of the image of God. 
the threefold concupiscence does not correspond to the fullness of that image, but rather to the damage, to the deficiencies, to the limitations that appeared with sin. Concupiscence is to be explained as a lack, as a lack, however, that plunges its roots into the original depth of the human spirit. If we want to study this phenomenon at its origins, that is, on the threshold of the experiences of historical man, we must take into consideration all the words that God, Yahweh, addressed to the woman, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and to the man, Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Furthermore, we must examine the state of consciousness of both, and it is the Yahwist text that expressly enables us to do so. We have already called attention to the specific literary character of the text in this regard. See Theology of the Body, number 3. Change in the Meaning of Original Nakedness What state of consciousness can manifest itself in the words, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself? To what interior truth do they correspond? To what meaning of the body do they attest? Certainly this new state is very different from the original state. The words of Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, directly attest to a radical change of the meaning of original nakedness. In the state of original innocence, as we observed earlier, nakedness did not express a lack, but represented the full acceptance of the body in its whole human and thus personal truth. The body as the expression of the person was the first sign of the presence of man in the visible world. In that world, from the very beginning, man was able to distinguish himself, to identify himself as it were, that is, to confirm himself as a person, also through his body. In fact, the body was, from the beginning, marked, so to speak, as the visible factor of transcendence, in virtue of which man, as person, surpasses the visible world of living beings, animalia. In this sense, the human body was, from the beginning, a faithful witness and a perceptible verification of man's original solitude in the world, while becoming, at the same time, through masculinity and femininity, a transparent component of reciprocal giving in the communion of persons. Thus, in the mystery of creation, the human body carried within itself an unquestionable sign of the image of God, and also constituted the specific source of certainty about this image present in the whole human being. The original acceptance of the body was in some sense, the basis of the acceptance of the whole visible world, and in its turn, it was for man the guarantee of his rule over the world, over the earth, which he was to subdue. See Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The words, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, attest to a radical change in this relationship. Man, in some way, loses the original certainty of the image of God expressed in his body. He also loses, in a certain way, the sense of his right to participate in the perception of the world, which he enjoyed in the mystery of creation. 
This right had its foundation in man's innermost being, in the fact that he himself participated in the divine vision of the world and of his own humanity, which gave him a deep peace and joy in living the truth and value of his body in all its simplicity, transmitted to him by the Creator. God saw that it was very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The words of Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself, confirm the collapse of the original acceptance of the body as a sign of the person in the visible world. Together with this breakdown, the acceptance of the material world in relation to man seems to falter as well. The words of God, Yahweh, foretell the hostility, as it were, of the world, the resistance of nature against man and his task. They foretell the toil that the human body was then to suffer in contact with the earth, subdued by him. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the earth, for from it you were taken." Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. The end of this toil, of this struggle of man with the earth, is death. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. In this context, or rather in this perspective, Adam's words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself seem to express the awareness of being defenseless and the sense of insecurity about his somatic structure in the face of the processes of nature that operate with an inevitable determinism. In this disturbing statement, one can perhaps find the implication of a certain cosmic shame in which the being that is created in the image of God and called to subdue the earth and rule over it, see Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, expresses itself at the precise moment when, at the very beginning of its historical experiences, that same being is in such an explicit way subjected to the earth, particularly in the part of its transcendent constitution represented precisely by the body. Here we must interrupt our reflections on the meaning of original shame and Genesis. We shall take them up again next week. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 27th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. The context of this catechesis is chapter 2 of part 1 of Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body. Some of the high points of this catechesis, focusing on the man of concupiscence, the fallen man, are as follows. Pope John Paul II reminds us again of the Johannine understanding of the fall, the threefold concupiscence. Concupiscence, a tendency to sin, to take to oneself. Concupiscence of the eyes, the way we look at another, the way we look at things. 
and we should never look at another as if the other is a thing. Concupiscence of the flesh, gluttony, intemperance, lust, those are all part of the concupiscence of the flesh, a tendency to sin with the body, and the pride of life, believing we are better than any and all others, putting ourselves before Almighty God. This is the threefold concupiscence as presented by St. John in the first letter, and the Holy Father is reminding us of our tendency to sin. In this 27th Catechesis, Man and woman, he created them a theology of the body. The Holy Father points out to us that concupiscence is not merely a tendency to sin, a consequence of the fall of original sin, but it's also a lack, a lack of integrity, a lack of ease to do what is good, right, true, and beautiful. Concupiscence affects us all. It affects our relationships with ourselves with our neighbors, with our God. We've seen in earlier catechesis the Holy Father's use of the term original. We're very conscious of original sin. That's just great part of the tradition of the church, the teaching of the church. But the Holy Father has spoken to us in earlier catechesis on original holiness, the original unity. In this catechesis, he's speaking to us about original love and original nakedness, original shame, original state, original innocence, even original certainty. All of these affected by the fall, all of these affected by concupiscence, our tendency to sin. And so when he speaks about original love, he says we are alienated from it. The original love which was in us, For God, God who is love, we are alienated from God by our sin, that which we have inherited and those which we commit ourselves. Alienation, separation, division. In the beginning, original nakedness was part of the good creation. Original nakedness, as a consequence of the fall, however, has changed. The meaning has changed. Now, nakedness source of shame. Original nakedness showed originally the transparency, the communio personorum, the communion of persons, now a cause of division because of the way we look at another, because of our disordered desires. Lust is a disordered desire. Original shame. When the Holy Father speaks of original shame, and shame is so much a part of this second chapter of the first part of his Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, it presupposes original innocence, original holiness, original justice. It's the anti-side of those. Shame, the lack. So we have shame reciprocally between the husband and the wife, between the wife and the husband, between us and God. Reciprocal shame and all shame, symptom of the fall. Shame before each other. This is not a sentimental, oh, what a shame. Do you remember when? No. The Holy Father reminds us that they hid themselves. Fear was a part of this shame, and we still have a holy fear, a righteous fear, to offend the good God who is all good and worthy of all our love. And sin offends God, and it offends us in the depths of our being. When we have a well-formed conscience, we know what a shame it is when we have sinned. Pope John Paul II highlights in this 27th Catechesis that shame in this work 
treating the man of concupiscence, the man who has a tendency to sin, is more than just bodily shame. Some people say, oh, I don't have abs of steel or a six-pack, 12-pack of abs. You know, I'm flabby in my tummy. Or I don't have big, strong biceps. Or my hairline isn't what I would like it to be. This shame is not a vanity. It's a lack when it comes to the life of the soul, not just the body. And it's a cosmic shame. Shame in the cosmos. If man is the pinnacle of God's creation, male and female, and here we've abused our free will, not only the free will of our first parents, but each of us their descendants. So the cosmos are disordered because we disorder our own lives. We, the pinnacle of his creation. But Christ Jesus, the perfect man, the new Adam, his death and resurrection, his all-holy life, and that of his blessed mother, not a source of cosmic shame, but a source of cosmic redemption, a source of cosmic joy. When Pope John Paul II speaks to us of these things, treating the man of concupiscence, He speaks of a birth of the consciousness of being naked. It's not as if our first parents were not without clothes before. They were, but their desire was not disordered. Now everything is changed. The nakedness which Scripture speaks to us, I heard the sound of your step in the garden. I was afraid because I am naked. I hid myself. The nakedness is not only material, it's also spiritual. Naked without shame before God means there's nothing between us. There's transparency. The Lord sees to the depth of my heart, and there's no stain there. Now, when the Lord looks to the depths of our heart, he sees us marked with original sin, and whichever sins we commit ourselves, not just that which we have inherited. This consciousness of being naked comes to us who know about the Redeemer, for Christ did not come for generic sins, and not merely for the sin of Adam, but for yours and for mine. Pope John Paul II speaks to us in this 27th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, about a state of consciousness manifested in words. In the words, I was afraid because I am naked. The words of sacred scripture, inspired by God, show us the depth of our understanding, our self-understanding, the state of consciousness, what's going on in each of us. How aware are we? How do we stand before God today, this night, this morning, this afternoon, this year? How do I stand before God? What is the state of my soul? God knows what it is. This catechesis is an examination of conscience, if you'd like. There's a difference between conscience and consciousness. We cannot examine our conscience if we're not conscious, and consciousness is the ability to do those things, to be awake, not just physically after sleep, but to be attentive to all the finer details, all the finer points God calling us to holiness, our response to his call. Pope John Paul II reminds us that the new state after the fall is different from the original state before the fall, and so that's the original holiness, the original justice, and now the original sin and now the original shame. The state is different, not a political entity, a state, but the situation, how we stand before God. Before we were just creatures, then, now, we are fallen creatures. But we live after the redemption, after the death and resurrection of the Lord. Thanks be to God for our redemption. So our state of being baptized is different from our state even before holy baptism. 
The Holy Father does not dwell on that in this catechesis, but it is not foreign to his mind. Original innocence, the Holy Father tells us, represented a full acceptance of the body in its whole human personal truth. And since we're no longer in that state of original innocence, now there is no longer a full acceptance of the body in its holy human personal truth. So many in our day and age see the body as just so much matter and forget the truth of the matter that this is a body-soul composite made in the image of God for the glory of God, redeemed by the death and resurrection of Christ. The human body was a faithful witness, a perceptible verification of our original solitude in the world. And now, since the fall, sometimes we follow its promptings more than those of our soul. We let what is common in us with the animals, animalia, dominate what in us is like God, who is spirit, the soul. But we are to be virtuous. We are to act in accord with our nature, virtuous. Vir is the Latin word for man. We are to be virtuous not only in our soul, but in our body. Chastity is one virtue, a rightly ordered, a rightly exercised sexuality. But prudence is a virtue, and temperance is a virtue. If we are to act in accord with our nature, and we should, and as followers of the Lord Jesus we should want to, then we will seek out the virtues. We will seek God's grace to live virtuous lives, to correspond with God's holy will. In the beginning, as part of God's good creation, our human bodies carried within itself an unquestionable sign of the image of God. This is part of the good creation, part of the mystery of creation. But part of our reality, part of the mystery of our human life is the fall. And while the body did carry within itself this unquestionable sign of the image of God, now since the fall, that image has been radically changed. It has been damaged. We have lost the original certainty of the image of God, which can only be restored by God, who has been offended by the original sin, who has been and is continually offended by our sins. When we sin, we damage his image in us. When we repent, when we turn back towards him who is our life, in whose image we have been made, we can allow him to repair that image. We can allow the Lord to repair that certainty, to recognize the truth about ourselves, even as we seek the truth about our God, revealed to us in the fullness of time by Christ Jesus himself, son of Adam, son of Mary, eternal son of the eternal Father, made man. This radical change includes a loss of the right to participate in the perception of the world as Adam first saw it. To see it together with the Creator now, we see it as thwarting our efforts. By the sweat of your brow shall you eat. It shall yield thistles, thorns. We do not perceive, we do not see as we ought, either ourselves or others, or the world in which we have been placed to cultivate, to have dominion. This is a radical change. This is a loss. But how great a Redeemer we have in Christ Jesus, who has overcome not only sin and death, the cross and the grave, but even what we have been talking about. The collapse of original acceptance of the body as a sign of the person in the visible world. This, too, a loss. Originally, the body was the sign of the person in the visible world. Now, with our fallen vision, with our demeaning gaze, we see just 
an object for our pleasure, or one to be scorned. This is not how it was in the beginning. We are defenseless against ourselves and against others, and before the justice of God, which is why we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Lord, help us to see a right and to desire a right, not to be men and women of concupiscence, men and women of a fallen nature, men and women who desire in a degrading way, but who have wholesome desires. We ask the Lord to strengthen us in our resolve. We ask the Lord to be our defender against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to use the language of our civil documents. A consequence of the fall of this concupiscence in us is our insecurity about our somatic structure, the Holy Father calls it, that we are a body-soul composite. What to do? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So strengthen my spirit and strengthen my body, Lord, that I might glorify you in all things always. Do not let me, Lord, be subjected to the earth, which you entrusted to us to subdue. Earth here is not just the planet, like Mars or Venus. Earth here is also all that is material, the body, that part of us which scripture says we were to have subdued. This 27th Catechesis of the Theology of the Body is part of chapter 2, chapter 2 of the first part of the Theology of the Body. Remember the first part, Christ appealing to the beginning. The second part, Christ appealing to the human heart. Whoever looks with desire upon the other has already committed adultery in his heart. Pope John Paul II is reminding us that it is what is in the heart which is not only a material organ, the pump of the blood, but it's also a symbol of the whole person, the whole man, the whole woman. This is Pope John Paul II's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So often we focus on the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. That is one of the Beatitudes very much related to the theology of the body. But in point of fact, all of Christ's teaching, spoken in his body, by his body, by him enfleshed, lived by him enfleshed, and now by us, we who call ourselves his followers, Yes, we are fallen creatures. The consequences of original sin weigh heavily upon us. Suffering, death, ignorance, and a tendency to do evil. And it's that tendency to do evil, the technical term is concupiscence, which gives us so much trouble. Only grace can overcome these things. Grace won at the price of Christ's cross. Grace poured out upon us in holy baptism and renewed in the sacrament of penance, grace poured out upon us in confirmation, in holy Eucharist, in holy marriage, in holy orders, grace poured out upon us in the anointing of the sick, grace is given that we might overcome the tendency to sin in our lives, that we might glorify God in the here and now, even as we long to glorify him for all eternity. On high. Our next catechesis will continue chapter 2 of Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, Christ Appealing to the Human Heart, The Man of Concupiscence. We'll look at in- imminent shame and sexual shame, not the sentimental sort, but a deep sorrow for sin, akin to contrition but even different from that still. Some have accused Pope John Paul II of utter novelty in his Theology of the Body, but in 
this 27th catechesis, we see him deeply rooted in sacred tradition. He appeals to the early church, dealing with the Pelagians, the Council of Orange, especially answering them. He appeals to the Council of Trent, attempting to correct the errors of Martin Luther and John Calvin and Henry VIII. And in the centuries follow, he appeals to the correction of the Jansenists, each of whom had their own issues as regards the fall, human nature, and the like. Pope John Paul II is very aware, very conscious of these different periods of the history of the church, and he well works within those boundaries, even as he develops the tradition. Until next time, God bless you.